welcome to episode 33 of the Green and Healthy Places podcast, in which we explore the themes of sustainability and well-being in real estate and hospitality. I'm your host, Matt Morley, founder of Biophilico Healthy Buildings and Biofit Wellness Concepts. This week, we're in Milano, Italy, talking to the Brazilian co-founder of Soma Studio, Ana Magalhães. Soma are engaged in the circular design sector as B2B advisors, trend forecasters, content producers, and all-round expert guides for those seeking to improve their knowledge of this relatively new industry that we call the circular economy. We talk about the key principles of this new concept, the product categories in real estate and interiors that are excelling in circular design terms. We look at take-back programs for used furniture, surfaces made of biomaterials, waste as a design floor, the importance of collaboration between brands, how nature offers guidance for circular designers, the endless potential of mycelium to replace plastic in future, the eco-well-being trend in homes, as well as the role of biophilic design within circular economy. If you like this type of content, please hit subscribe. Anna is at somastudiomilano.com. Now, andiamo va. Let's talk circular design. So Soma is a Milan-based studio working to help professionals and companies to take action and shift from a linear to a circular economy. And to do so, we strive to raise awareness, provide uh, relevant information and strategies within the circular economy and circular design. And uh, yeah, then in terms of services, um, and always under this umbrella of circular economy and circular design, we offer strategic consultancy for product development, uh, which includes trend forecasting, transporting, and material research. We also create content such as ebooks, uh, reports, webinars to help organizations uh, raise awareness around the circular economy and uh, circular products and services. And we also create short courses, lectures, or workshops in collaborations uh, with companies and educational institutions. And so in a way, you're providing a series of consultancy services that are intended to push the industry forward by making it easier to integrate uh, and understand circular design, circular economy principles. Would that be a fair description? Yes, yes, this would be a very good description because we try to raise awareness, educate, educate people and professionals and uh, make it easier for, for them to apply the circular principles uh, within their organizations and work and projects. And how do you define circular design and would you consider it in some ways to be different to, let's say, sustainable design or environmentally friendly design? So I think when we talk about circular design, uh, we need to think about the three main principles of the circular economy, which are designing waste out of products and systems, keeping materials and products in use, and regenerating natural systems. So when we talk about circular design, we are dealing with a whole system uh, from production to disposal, and therefore with production and consumer waste. And above all, we are talking about restoring natural systems. When it, when it comes to sustainable design or eco-friendly design, which, which are definitely important concepts, we are talking more about meeting the needs of the present without compromising uh, the future of the planet and the next generations. So we are talking more about minimizing our impact. 
Uh, however, we believe that with climate change and the you know, whole global environmental crisis, sustainability is no longer enough because besides uh, not doing harm to the planet, we also need to do good. We can't only sustain the current system. We need to regenerate. And I guess uh, this is the biggest difference between circular and sustainable design. Circular is more about the system, as I mentioned, and regeneration. And therefore, effectively, you're encouraging businesses to take full responsibility for the products that they create rather than produce something sell it to a client and perhaps offer some customer service during the in-use phase of that product but then take no responsibility for what happens at the end of use phase the circular approach includes what happens and how you reintegrate something back into the system when it's no longer needed would that be yes exactly so uh companies, they need to be held accountable for the waste uh, they produce. They need to allow consumers to return uh, materials and products, which is not really the case, uh, for example, when we think about computers, uh, phones. So uh, we, they need to think about the whole system, you know. Um, doesn't matter if they do something with a sustainable material, but in the end, uh, the consumer doesn't know what to do with that when uh, they don't need any more that, that product. Hmm. Yeah, it's very true. And so where are you seeing, which product categories do you typically reference as being perhaps like the best examples today of like circular interior design? So if you're thinking about real estate and interiors, like where are you seeing uh, products that are doing a lot of good and making great progress here. Yeah, so we see that furniture design is taking important steps uh, towards circularity with uh, different approaches. So for example, we see some brands uh, launching take back programs uh, to allow their clients to return their, their used furniture. IKEA is doing that in the US. Uh, so their clients, for example, can return IKEA furniture, get a discount on, on new purchases while the brand uh, turned used materials uh, into new resources. Another uh, approach that some brands are using uh, is modular design, which allows for repair, remanufacture, and recycling. Uh, for instance, we see that with sofas and sleeping systems. A very good example that we spotted at the London Design Festival in 2019 is Sofa for Life from a Scottish uh, design company. That's a modular sofa that you can repair, so you can extend it, uh, the life cycle of this uh, piece. And also recently at the Milan Design Week, we saw the costume modular sofa by Magis uh, with the same idea of modular design. Uh, another interesting take on circular furniture is the emergency of companies renting office furniture instead of selling. So furniture becomes a service. Uh, with companies having the possibility to rent and then return them after some time. And then these pieces can be used by other companies or can be remanufactured or re recycled into new uh, materials. So this is uh, very relevant nowadays for the circular economy because we are talking about services and not ownership. And we also see some remarkable innovations when it, come, when it comes to surface design. Uh, we have now stunning tiles made of plastic waste coming from our oceans or from textile waste from the fashion industry. 
We also see surfaces using biomaterials like mycelium uh, and innovative technologies to recycle vinyl floors. Uh, so, yeah, we see a lot of uh, steps forwards uh, into circularity within different products. If we look at it from the other side, then where where are you where do you identify the problem areas? Like what are the sectors or the products within interior design as a, um, as an industry where you're seeing the most work still to be done? So the examples that you might reference for when you see look here, there's clearly an area that's a long way behind those great examples that you just referenced. Yeah, actually, this question was a, dif a bit difficult because uh, my partner and I, we were thinking about it and we realized that uh, we see innovations everywhere in different products cate categories from furniture, tiles, textile, lighting and so on. Uh, but we still see that uh, there is much more to do to transition to a circular economy. But in our opinion, what is really missing overall is more collaboration between different players. Uh, because when we talk about a circular future, uh, this future is only possible when we consider the whole system from production to disposal. So brands must collaborate with each other, with designers, with consumers. So, for instance, one company's waste can be another company's resource. And as uh, we were mentioning uh, earlier, a company must be held accountable for their waste, what is really not happening with computers, phones, and smart appliances for homes. So I think uh, we need to work further uh, to collaborate because collaboration is key for the circular economy. And it's not so easy to do that uh, between brands or brands and consumers and designers. So it's an optimistic message in that you, you can see the solution uh, and we, we have a way through and a circular approach is really the way to resolve the issue of creating all this waste. But do you think perceptions of waste are changing now? Even that word waste, do you think brands are starting to see uh, perhaps distinguish between waste as an unwanted material and perhaps starting to see ways to turn it into a resource? Or is that still a very minor piece of what's happening in the industry today? Yes, definitely. So with the rise of the circular economy and circular design, we are turning our attention to nature. And in nature, there aren't landfills. So nature basically doesn't generate waste simply because it turns everything into resources. So materials flow in circles and one species waste is another species food. So more and more designers and architects are seeing waste as a, as a design flaw in a human-made concept and invention. So this is changing their approach to waste, from organic waste to industrial waste. Everything now can be repurposed. In fact, uh, since 2019, Rosano Orlandi, who is a Milanese design gallerist, runs uh, the international prize competition that's called Raw Plastic Prize. They also participated uh, in the Milantine Week. Uh, and this prize is dedicated to the reuse and recycling of plastic. So although we must replace plastic, the price shows once again that we still need to deal with the plastic uh, waste that we already produce it and is available to us. So all this waste is becoming a very valuable resource. And this is happening not only with plastic, but, you know, with all kinds of industrial waste. And as I said, even organic waste. So definitely uh, waste is being challenging. Uh, challenged uh, lately by designers and architects. 
Do you think do you see a strong potential for biomaterials then as an alternative? So just moving away completely from plastics or even recycled plastics and, and finding more bio-based materials as, a, as an alternative route forward? Do you see potential in that? And if so, how far do you think it can go? I think biomaterials uh, have a lot of potential. Of course, uh, it's something that, you know, we still need to explore more and manage to produce in large scale because some materials, you know, some many designers, they are experimenting with all kinds of biomaterials, but with some materials, there are not enough support to uh, make them more scalable. But I think that's the future uh, because, again, it's looking at nature to find solutions for our problems. And I believe this is the best way uh, to, to deal with climate change and all the environmental crisis and waste. And one of the materials, the biomaterials, that is really a great material and has been explored a lot lately is mycelium which forms the root system of fungi. It's really amazing uh, because it's fire retardant, has excellent insulation and acoustic properties, can sequester carbon, and it's biodegradable and non-toxic. So we see mycelium used in lampshades, acoustic wall panels, furniture, packaging, often uh, replacing plastic. Uh, yeah, so... I think there is a lot of uh, potential for biomaterials. I even recommend listeners to take a look of the take a look at the Living, a New York-based studio exploring mycelium as a building material in architecture is uh, is really amazing. So I really think biomaterial uh, is the future, but of course we need to scale that more. It's interesting. I was talking to an architect from. Uh from the Kengo Kuma studio the other day and uh, talking about the difference between biomaterials and interiors, which is maybe where I, I might use them and, and at an architectural level, so the building material. And in an interior, when it's something like a mycelium uh, acoustic panel, that's much easier for, for say me to use and integrate into a workspace. But for an architect to use bio-based materials, he was saying there's just the lack of uh, the scientific tests that they need in order to have the guarantees of safety and security in the building materials. So he was saying at the moment, the, the issue is around, um, yeah, those having enough firm evidence and data around the strength or the um, durability of these materials. And, and that can often um, require additional budget from a client to, to put a material through those tests. And so he's saying that's really why it's in perhaps in architecture taking a bit longer for biomaterials to be adopted, but there's obviously potential there. So I guess, yeah, in interiors, we have to lead uh, from the front and then hopefully the architectural use of those materials follows on. I wanted to switch on to um, a piece you've done as a seminar. And it's really interesting looking through your website. There's, there's obviously, you create beautiful content, first of all, like great design uh, aesthetic language to what you do, but then a lot of the content's also uh, dynamic and videos and webinars online. And one particularly caught my eye. Uh, it's called Designing for Wellbeing. So mm -hmm. it's it's a topic very close to my heart, and I think there's so much potential in this theme. Can you can you talk to us about that? That's if you call it a trend, or perhaps it's just a, a different way of thinking about health and our environment. So. Where are, you, where are you seeing evidence of this uh, shift towards designing spaces for well-being? 
Yes, so uh, in the past years, we have seen uh, well-being becoming one of our highest values because it's a value that incorporates many others. So we see even in um, uh, major uh, design festivals like Milan Design Week, uh, London Design Festival, uh, Dutch Design Week, that designers and architects are starting to pay much more attention on how spaces can affect our creativity, efficiency, and overall well-being. We see many installations, for example, here, Elie Decor uh, did, you know, an installation about well-being as well. So we see a lot of uh, professionals and brands exploring that. Uh, they started to explore uh, neuroaesthetics, biophilic design, and create spaces for cocooning. So within this context, uh, we see, for example, soft and tactile materials becoming as important as colors and helping to integrate technology in our homes and also workspaces in a more natural and human way. And the pandemic has great accelerated this trend. And now we have a new sort of well-being that we call eco-well-being, which is about living a more sustainable and circular lifestyle. It's about welcoming the, let's say, the imperfect and impermanent state of things, inspired by the Japanese wabi-sabi philosophy that's really strong now as well. And uh, finally, it's about feeling physically safe uh, while we face pandemics. Uh, and also regarding sectors where we see more evidence, uh, we see this trend very strong in homes, especially, as I mentioned, because of pandemic, we start to demand much more for, from our homes. So we, we need to work, we need to entertain ourselves, you know, we need to do everything at home and yet feel safe and reassured. So well-being is very strong at homes, also workspaces, uh, hotels, and public shared spaces. The idea is really to provide people with places to feel safe and reassured, to cope with their very fast-speed uh, digital lives and all the multiple crises uh, we are living, like climate change, health, and mental crises, also brought by the pandemic, uh, accelerated actually by the pandemic, economic recession, and so on. So people really need um, spaces to feel reassured, calm, and to recharge. So that's why I think well-being is something that will only evolve uh, and improve uh, within design. It's not a it's a trend now, but it's not a trend that will fade away. I believe. You mentioned biophilic design as well, and I've I've noticed obviously a huge um, increase in interest in in the topic over the last. 18 months really in the COVID era, but it was already happening before then. I wondered how you see that. Obviously, you in one sense are working uh, on the front edge of the trend industry. And part of what you do is is anticipating, identifying, and almost like codifying and um, breaking down the trends in the design industry around you. But biophilic design, do you think that's something that will completely change the way we do um, or think about construction and interiors and our buildings? Is it one more trend that will one day pass away and we won't really want green walls and plants in our offices and uh, our homes anymore? Or do you think this is this is a fundamental shift towards a more, let's say, circular and sustainable way of doing things? No, uh, I don't think biophilic design is just a trend that will fade away. Uh, we see biophilic design as part of our journey to reconnect with nature and restore our broken bond with it. 
we believe uh, that biophilic design can help us realize that we are part of nature, that we have this innate connection and affinity towards the natural world, and above all, that we are responsible, uh, we have responsibilities towards it. So, and in fact, scientists have proved that nature uh, does have a positive impact on us, both uh, psychological and physiological. Uh, so we believe architects and designers will continue to improve their take on biophilic design, providing us with new shapes, forms, materials, uh, and technologies that bring uh, nature closer to us. So I think this will only evolve, not fade away. And recently we saw again at the Milan Design Week, uh, very interesting options for outdoor kitchens and outdoor furniture, especially the ones designed for public urban spaces. So we also see not only interior spaces, but uh, cities trying to promote more their public spaces like parks where people can interact and be in contact with nature. So we really believe, believe there is no turn, turning back when it comes to biophilic design. I wonder how you see it then, if it's something that can connect with and integrate an element of technology I think one of the things that's sometimes used, perhaps a misunderstanding of biophilic design, is that it's trying to return us to some state of nature, and therefore technology is not a part of that vision. It's not a part of that design strategy. But from what you're seeing in Milan and with your view of the of the European and global design industries, the technology element how are you seeing that? What potential do you see for that, both in, let's say, well-being design and in biophilic design? Well, I think technology is really key for our eco-well-being in many ways, uh, for biophilic design as well. Uh, we see new technologies, for example, that allows for sofa and curtain fabrics to purify the indoor air, improving its quality and also improving our well-being, our health. There are also technologies that make surfaces much easier to clean, uh, which have become top priority to spread, uh, to, to, to reduce the spread of germs indoor and make us feel safer. So again, we will impact our well-being. We also see multi-purpose and easily assembled uh, furniture that accommodate different needs, either at work or at home, and make our routines more flexible. Uh, lighting technology that also is evolving to set different moods in the same space. We also see uh, smart gardens becoming very popular uh, and allowing us to grow our, our own vegetables and spices, regardless of our home natural lighting conditions. And besides all these examples that we see uh, with technology collaborating with our um, well-being and improving our lives, we also see that technology can improve the planet's well-being because it helps us manage our waste either at home or, or at workspaces. Technology can turn uh, surplus into new resources, decreasing pollution and so on. So technology is, is definitely key to to help us uh, uh, with our well-being and to improve the ways we work with biophilic design, I believe. So we're not going backwards, we're going forwards and, and but taking more nature with us as we go forwards into, into the future and therefore, yeah, integrating tech in, in how we do things. You do talks, workshops, trend memberships. How can people 
how do clients and the industry typically engage with you? What are the range of, of opportunities for someone to, to connect if they see this as a theme that they need more um, help with, or they're interested in learning more, or they just need to yeah, increase their knowledge of this, perhaps with, with a view to doing um, yeah, particular projects at work related to circular design? Like, What are the options from, from Summer Studio? Yes, so uh, we have different approaches. So, for example, we can work with manufacturers, product manufacturers, uh, to help them identify future trends or also doing material research. We recently did that with, for example, an American tile company. We also uh, provide circular consultancy uh, to help organizations on how to implement circular uh, design principles within their products or services. We also work a lot with education. So, you know, because for us, the first step uh, towards this transition to the circular economy is really to educate yourself. So we provide content that's relevant within the circular economy and circular design uh, to companies or educational organizations and so on. Uh, we also collaborate with media outlets and we have these products, as you mentioned, a trained membership and uh, some ebooks and webinars that we do in partnership with an Italian uh, blogger and architect, Italian Bark. And uh, we provide people with the latest news, innovations and trends in interior and design, which always includes circular news and innovations. So we kind uh, we we have many different uh, services, but always uh, within this uh, broad, um, bigger topic, the circular economy and circular design. It makes complete sense. You know, I think there's there's so much movement happening in this industry that not everyone can stay up to date, and there's a lot of confusion. I think still there's a lot of these the terms and. A lot of us, we don't necessarily know how how to go about making things better. Um, and I can see that, yeah, what you do is effectively like a, yeah, you're you're an educator. You're you're there to help fill in the gaps and and boost understanding, increase understanding of of why this matters, but also how how one can or how mm -hmm. a client or a business can make a difference. Right, that's sort of what it's about. Yes, we also like to build bridges between circular designs and companies, between two companies, you know, to manage their waste, for example. We also do reports on, on events, you know, if a company wants to see what's happening in, in a particular uh, design fair or festival and they cannot go, or even if they go, but they want our insights, we also do that. So, yeah, um, we we consider ourselves researchers and educators and content uh, creators, a bit of everything. Yeah, that's great. Cool. And thank you so much. That was a really enjoyable conversation.